What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Episode of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I am Anthony Cazenza, and I am joined by my co-host John Sheeran. Uh, John, I think we've got this whole thing figured out. We've we've been able to find a new platform, so to speak, to keep the live show. Now we get to see you. We get to hear you in better quality. And of course, Randall makes his glorious re-debut on the show. How are you, buddy? Yeah, my my good buddy Randall back there behind me. He was about to join. He was about to move out to LA so we can get some camera time with you. If you if I wasn't going to be on here in, in the near future, so this is great, man. We we have Streamyard.com is our now streaming service for the for the moment, and so far so good for us on my end. Yeah, so Streamyard.com is is what we're using, and it's it should be at least to my knowledge directly feeding to our YouTube channel. It looks like it is. Um, so uh, you know. We're, we're thankful for, for that. And I have to thank a, a guest that's coming onto the show to inter- that introduced me to StreamYard, uh, Brandon Schultz, who is with Field Goals, the SB Nation Seattle Seahawks website. He's going to help us preview week one with the Bengals and the Seahawks. So we'll get uh, a look over the other side of the fence and talk about some things with him. He'll be joining us about halfway through the episode tonight. So excited to have him and grateful that he kind of mentioned this thing and uh, hopefully hopefully this ends up working well. So, um, but at any rate, um, John, uh, look, man, the, the season's here. Uh, there's It's been a big weekend for news. Uh, Labor Day weekend was, it's supposed to be relaxing, but uh, for some of us who have to track news, it's really not. Um, anyway, uh, I, I guess let's kind of dive right into the 53-man roster. The Bengals had it set. There were a couple of surprises. Then a day later when they scoured the waiver wire, they made a couple of, di- of additions, let go of, of a couple of guys. Let's look at it kind of holistically. Is uh, wh- wh- What were your impressions of the 53-man roster? Yeah, when the first move started coming out, like I was waiting for something from for me to scratch my head about. And honestly, like for the most part, I was very pleased with everything that they did. Um, I think we pretty much guessed for the most part how many at each position they were going to keep with the exception of maybe going 11 on defensive line instead of maybe 10 four linebackers is a little bit lower than what we expected at, at, at about five and um, I, th- I think they were a little light at cornerback too compared to most conventional wisdom but um, starting with the receivers the decision to let go of not only Cody core but also Josh Malone was shocking but very ple- but very pleasant on my end for them to be able to keep both Auden Tate and Damian Willis is definitely a good move on their part and then or excuse me, they originally kept Josh Malone and then they cut him for an- another guy in Farrow Cooper who they picked up on waivers. So that I think was a sense of Zach Taylor wanting to get his own guys into the system, sp- specifically at a position that he has a history of coaching. And on the offensive line, the only big real shock to me was them keeping O'Shea Dugas, but it turns out they were going to keep him just so they can place him on injured reserve for the off chance that he might come back later in the season. So initially I was displeased about keeping Dugas because there was no way that a guy of his talent was worthy of a roster spot, even for an offensive line that's as awful as the Bengals, but their decision-making process kind of redeemed themselves a bit by the move they made. And they ended up re-signing John Jerry to, to replace him. And when he went to IR and on the defensive side, like, the defensive line is their strength. And if they want to maximize on this strength, all the more power to them. It's going to be interesting to see how many of those 11 guys are active for week one and for the rest of the season. And if they're going to run into issues, only keeping four linebackers and, you know, they, they have two on the practice squad. And unfortunately one of them is Hardy Nickerson, but that was another surprising cut, I think, because 
last year, you know, the last couple of years, Nickerson has made the team, despite not being a very good athlete and just not being very good at football in general, besides the occasional special teams flashes. But I think he's like the perfect practice squad player. And I think that the new coaching staff realizes that. So a lot of things different now that Marvin Lewis isn't the one making these decisions. And his roster is offensive heavy. There's 26 guys on the active roster on offense compared to 24 on defense. Most of the practice squad is offensive players as well. So definitely seeing the Zach Taylor influence really pop up in this in this first uh, year of building this roster. Surprised about Jake Dolagala? Uh, and initially I kind of was, but then I realized that, you know, if, if you have the opportunity to keep not one, but two young promising backup quarterbacks, you definitely have to do it just because of the value of the position. And I definitely think that Dolagala's week, week four performance against the Colts really influenced that. And, you know, maybe he makes it through waivers and then gives stash on the practice squad. I don't think that if Dolagala got into the practice squad, he would have been elevated to anybody else's active roster, which is what would have had to happen for them to lose him. But just the, the the display of confidence and just keeping Dolagala on there, keeping three quarterbacks, I think is very promising to him. And honestly, he has the traits worthy of further investment in him for the next couple of years. And I'm excited to see if he ever gets the opportunity, what he does with it. You know, there, there are a lot of there to me, this, this roster screams Zach Taylor's thumbprint. I mean, on a lot of it. Um, And I think, I think that's good. And if you, if you look at kind of, I think you you made a couple of comments via Twitter and some other uh, Bengals talking heads made some comments on Twitter about the moves that they made, getting rid of some of these guys, kind of shedding dead weight a little bit. Um, I think that showed a lot. You mentioned they went heavy at wide receiver. Obviously, that's going to be a point of emphasis. They went initially light at running back, but then they went heavier at running back. We'll talk more about that position in just a little bit because there was some big news there. Um Heavy on defensive line, you know, I, I I liked kind of the construction of what what they had. And I like how you put it where, you know what, they found their areas of strength and they weren't afraid to go heavy at those areas. You know, they the offensive line is weak. So, I mean, it's scary, but you know what? They have other areas that are stronger and they don't want to lose some of those guys that are good players that can still contribute for them as opposed to carrying some guys that are lesser talent on, on the offensive line and really not being able to contribute at, as, as much of a high level. So, um, you know, I, to me, that, that makes a lot of sense. I, I want to ask you about this because the Bengals made two waiver claims. We figured, and, and that's pretty, that's pretty splashy, especially for right. a team that does not really like to, to get a lot of outside players, but um in itself, the two the two players were, were pretty splashy in who they got. Samaje Pirine, the running back, and Farrell Cooper, the wide receiver, kick returner. Let's start with with Pirine. I think that was a little bit more of a popular pick, uh, a more sensical, logical pick uh, pickup by the Bengals. Your thoughts on Pirine and the fact that he's kind of a, a bigger back uh, and the fact that Travion Williams is nursing an injury, Rodney Anderson on IR. I think the move makes sense personally. It makes a lot of sense. And just just for starters, we're, we're talking about the differences between Taylor and Marvin Lewis. But the thing with Marvin Lewis is that he always typically had four running backs. And his starter was always around you know, the bigger back size, 220 pounds or so. And he always had a backup of, of that size to replace him in case he went down. And th- this is the case this year again. You have Joe Mixon leading the way at his size. And you have Javon Bernard, Travion Williams, similar sizes to them, a little under 5'10", about 200 pounds. And then P. Ryan's like the, is like the big back replacement, right? He's, he's, I think, a little bit bigger than what Mixon was. But those two guys have a history with each other. And when when thinking about potential waiver claims at running back, offensive line, linebacker, P. Ryan was the first guy that really popped in my head as, as a guy that they can go out and get because of the history that Mixon and P. Ryan shared. They both played at Oklahoma. P. Ryan actually is the all-time leading rusher at Oklahoma. Uh, when Mixon was suspended for a whole season, P. Ryan got the, the, the line share of the carries, if you will. And then for their last year together, they both kind of split split the um, split the duties there. But you know, P. Ryan is kind of like more of the power back, more of the quote unquote short yardage back. You can do less with him compared to a guy like Mixon, who's definitely more of an electric runner. But I, I like the move from that sense. It builds chemistry in that running back group. Now you have three guys on the roster in total who are from Oklahoma. You might as well just pencil in any future Oklahoma running back going to the Cincinnati Bengals from this this point forward. But I definitely like I definitely like the P. Ryan move, P. Ryan move for what it is. Unfortunately, again. He's just a limited running back. He's not that much of a pass catcher, definitely not that much of a pass blocker, and he's just not the athlete that Mixon is. 
But fortunately, you don't have to rely on him until you absolutely need to because he'll be you know fourth on the depth chart. So for a guy that just rounds out the group and a guy that just had no chance of making it in Washington who has a plethora of running backs on their on their own, it, it makes a lot of sense. And, I, and it was definitely the better of the two waiver claims, in my opinion, that they made. Yeah, and the I mean short yardage guy probably right maybe maybe some yeah. goal line goal line formations that sort of thing kind of a, a little bit of a bowling ball type of guy one cut guy and go I I like what you mentioned about the the Oklahoma facet because you know I I think that the the system that Jim Turner wants to run on the offensive line the running game that's why they brought in a guy he's familiar with with Travion Williams and they brought in Keaton Sutherland as an undrafted free agent he's now on the practice squad. You know, I think it's just a schematic thing, and that's where P. Ryan kind of fits into the mold there, what they want to do in terms of running the running game, the schemes, the blocking schemes, backs that know what's going on. That's why they have two Oklahoma backs. Joe Mixon recently said to some of the Cincinnati media that a lot of the concepts that Zach Taylor is running this year is a lot of stuff that's that was that Lincoln Riley does in Oklahoma. Uh, and so I think it play obviously, again, Taylor – playing to player strengths, playing to the roster strengths. You got to like that. Now, the Bengals picked up a second guy. uh, And obviously, a lot of people are kind of scratching their heads on this one. I personally think I liked it more than most people, and I have a reason why. I'll get to that. But Farrell Cooper was a guy, he's kind of bounced around the league over the past couple of years, was drafted in the fourth round of the 2016 draft by the Rams. So obviously, there's the Taylor connection there. Really, his main impact has been as a return man. I think... Correct me if I'm wrong, because you're you're a little bit more sour on the move probably than I am, which is a totally understandable. But it seems uh, is most of that frustration or more of most of that meh feeling to it is that because you had wished that the team did more on offensive line or linebacker instead of kick returner, or you don't like the player, or both. It, it's more of I think a confusion of where they're going in terms of direction wise, because Cooper was a guy who played a, a total a total of like six offensive snaps last season for the Rams. And he was mainly just a kick returner. And he didn't play that much of special teams outside of return duties. So you're thinking to yourself, okay, with AJ Green out of the roster, they're going to have probably five or six active receivers. So maybe one guy besides Green is going to be an active one he's out. And you're thinking, okay, Josh Malone was going to be that guy because he didn't provide much on special teams. And then you could roll with... Uh, Auden Tate and Alex Erickson as your reserves with Cooper in the equation. It, does this mean that Auden Tate is going to be uh, sidelined or he's, he's not going to dress for those games and they're going to have Cooper do the special teams uh, duties. He's not really a special teams guy, but aside from returning and they already have, in my opinion, two returners who can handle most of the duties and Alex Erickson and um, Darius Phillips. Uh, Cooper wasn't even f- officially listed as a return man on the first official depth chart that was released today. And he's listed as John Ross's backup as the flanker wide receiver. And he's mainly played in the slot in his career. And honestly, he's a receiver that doesn't really do a good job of receiving. So it's almost like, you know, the the reason why we were sour on Cody core was because he wasn't a bad special teams player. And that's what he was known for. But he played a lot, a lot of offense and just did not produce very well and just wasn't very good as a receiver. And it's more or less the same that we're getting with Cooper. He's just an underwhelming receiver in that aspect. And the thing that he does well at, at, as far as you know, returning kicks and whatnot, they already have two guys who I have I have confidence in doing that. So it, it just seems like you know they added him for the sake of adding guys who know the system, and that's all fine and whatnot. But it, it, I I wish they prioritize, like you said, going more towards the offensive line, be more active in terms of claiming guys uh, there, and instead of going for a guy who doesn't really really push the needle for a position group that was already pretty much a strength. That's. That's really my own my only big complaint about it is the fact that you know you really didn't use the opportunity to bolster areas of weak spots necessarily. I mean, even running back, you could kind of say, well, I mean, if Travion Williams is going to be healthy for week one, they've got three guys who are either very talented to relatively talented that could that could help out. So um, these these may have been looked at as a little bit more of luxury type of pickups, but. My thing that I liked about it is it plays into a lot of people are saying, oh, Alex Erickson's gone. Alex Erickson's going to be cut because Pharaoh Cooper's coming in. And I, I was saying, I think it's the opposite. I think it's that means that Erickson is going to get a an uptick in play on offense. He's probably going to be a slot guy uh, and he's probably going to be relied on pretty heavily in these first couple of weeks with A.J. Green out. And you have an undrafted 
free agent Damian Willis taking snaps, you know, as a starter. So they're going to need veteran presence at the wide receiver position. So to me, I think it's like, and if you notice in the preseason, Alex Erickson wasn't playing all that much. Right. Uh, and, and Taylor didn't play a lot of guys in the preseason that he, that we all assume are going to have high profile roles in the offense. So to me, um, I, I think that that's where I like this move, where it kind of gives the – if they like what they see on offense from Alex Erickson, it gives the uh, the team the opportunity to use him in that capacity. Yeah, I just wish that it was just a more talented player, in my opinion. And again, if, if your saving grace is being determined, then that's fine. There's value in that. It's just not, I think, the value that they should have went after. But at the end of the day, he's, what, the sixth, seventh receiver on the roster? He's not going to make an impact unless he absolutely has to. And at that point, the Bengals are already pretty much in trouble. And there's not – a receiver on the market, maybe one or two guys who could really save them from any catastrophic events that might occur in the coming weeks. Yep. And who knows what's going to happen when some of these guys come back healthy at Darquez Denard, who is on the pup list, AJ Green, whenever that might be one weeks, three weeks, four weeks, who knows? Um, you know, who, who knows if, if Cooper's going to even really remain on the roster once Green is back, we'll see. But at least for now, I think it, it did show it was a little bit of a luxury item, I guess, if you want to call it that. But it was also, um, you know, something where, you know, I think it kind of plays it once again is allowing the team to use the strength or mask a deficiency with a player who's injured out of the lineup. But overall, I think, you know, for what the Bengals had on the roster, I think it looks pretty good. I think, like like we said, Zach Taylor put his thumbprint on this roster and um, I, I still think it's a little fluid. Do you? Oh, for sure. And we, and we just saw some recent fluidity news w- with that because they actually worked out, I think, seven guys today, most of them being offensive linemen or linebackers. So, again, 11 defensive linemen, four linebackers. I don't expect that those numbers to be the same a couple weeks down the road or maybe even bef- before this week is over. Yep. So um, that – it, the Bengals have their their final roster set. They have their practice squad set. Um, so in uh, a couple of familiar faces there, Keaton Sutherland, you mentioned um, Hardy Nickerson. Uh, the Ellis kid, the running back, was, wasn't was one. Moritz Bowringer. I mean, a lot of a lot of familiar faces on that. So um, I, I think, uh, you know, they, they did a good job of keeping who they needed to keep and, and working on that there. Uh, kind of segueing a little bit into news and notes, you mentioned that the Bengals worked out some players on Tuesday afternoon. They also did some work behind the scenes, behind the curtain, if you will, and they extended Giovanni Bernard to a two-year deal, basically keeping him here for the, I believe it's the next three years. It's kind of tacking two on to the the final year of his deal that he has right now. So, um He's going to be in Cincinnati through 2021. Um, kind of a lucrative deal. There are pluses and minuses to this one, John. Um, mm-hmm. I really like the guy. I like the player. Um, I worry about, you know, I, I like the outlook of him producing in a Zach Taylor offense. I don't know about paying a third contract to a running back. I don't know about giving him an average of $6 million a year for a guy that's your 1B or 2A running back. Um, your thoughts just kind of on the Bernard extension, if the Bengals, you know, made a smart move, a, you know, a risky move or somewhere in the middle. Yeah, nothing really gets football Twitter more riled up than, the discussions regarding a second contract for running back. So when a con- when a running back gets a third contract, it should be a, a quite a bit of news. But in all honesty, like this doesn't this new money that he got puts him just about the same as where he was before this. Um, below a lot of other marquee running backs, put puts him right along with Ravens running back Mark Ingram in terms of average money. And like the first thing that that I really thought of when I heard about this is that you know like 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 you like okay I, I like Gio, but do I really want to give you know more money to a running back who's going to be 30 quicker than we imagined but i also realized that the extension that he signed back in 2016 after playing three years um it was worth about five and a half million per year and that was when the salary cap was about 155 mil salary cap is now 190 million he's making about the same money so relative to what the cap is this is honestly deflating his contract and his average salary compared to just how much the cap has grown so in reality he didn't he didn't he didn't get a raise and didn't get the same money. He actually got less money, 
relative to how much money that they can give out. And that makes a lot of sense because over the past three years, they've used Bernard about t- like 10%, 20% less than they, than they did uh, in his first three years. I think he's had um, 40% of his of his total touches, about 30-something percent of his total yards has come in the past three years, and that's splitting his career in half. So they really used him a lot more in those first three years, paid him $5.5 million, used him less, paid him about $5 million, uh, per year this year. So it's all relative, and, and it matches pretty perfectly to what his usage has been. And it's almost like they just got like a discount because they just underutilized him. And that's always been the one thing that has you know bothered us about Bernard in you know, the Bengals' offense past three years is the pa- the fact that he just hasn't been used properly and hasn't been used enough, and he's t- more talented than what his volume stats represent. So if, if this is a sign that they're going to use him more in the offense or that he's just going to be a more of a focal point and not be phased out of the game, even when you still have Joe Mixon, I'm all for that because he's still talented and, I st- and he's still relatively fresh compared to what other running backs are at 27 years old. But at the, at the same time, you know, it's, it's still a decent amount of money given to a running back who's not in his early 20s anymore. And also, you know, there has been a little bit of change in how he moves and how explosive and elusive he is coming off that ACL injury a couple years ago. So there is an equal amount of pros and cons. But at the same time, I'm not too blown away because I realized that this isn't exactly a raise or even giving the same amount of money compared to what the salary cap is. And he's still relatively fresh compared to how old he is. Yeah, that's that's where this, you know, when you say third contract, well, this isn't third contract to a guy who has the volume of carries of an Adrian Peterson or touches, you know, this is a guy who has been a rotational back, a guy who um, really doesn't have the the wear on the tires, if you want to use a, a terrible analogy. Um, that So in that sense, it makes sense. The numbers for a player that is kind of a rotational guy, that's where I'm like, eh, I don't know. Um, he is still only 27 at, at this time. I mean, he, he's, he's not really, you know, it's not like he's just going to turn 30 this year or something like that. So he's still ha- he's still young. Um, right. so that, that also kind of plays into their favor. Um, I, I, I really like the player, um, not only from a, you know, a personality standpoint, he seems to be very well liked on that team, but he does a lot of things that I don't think a lot of fans, casual Bengals fans may notice. I I see him pass protect pretty well for a guy his size. I see him run between the tackles, not overly often. I mean, there are times he bounces outside, but when he is tasked with taking the load of the carries, Joe Mixon missed two games last year. You see him, you know, for a smaller guy, take, take carries up the middle with somewhat high frequency. And, uh, you know, he's a guy who, you know, you kind of thought he might be a niche back in the NFL when he was drafted. He kind of is that, but he does a lot of things well. And I think that that is where this move makes sense. But the one thing that I think we need to also kind of pause at is the potential of other contracts. Does this does this hinder that? You know, right. AJ, AJ Green, of course, that discussion is took a, took a turn this summer a different turn this summer based on his ankle injury and him going to be missing a game if not more um you know there's that issue and then the Bengals a lot of times they don't like to open up the pocketbook too much they do like to open it up for their own guys especially skill position offensive players but they don't like to open it up as much as some other teams and of course you look at the outside signing factors in season veterans that sort of thing do you see that affecting either of those scenarios right I, they're not they're, they're still at this point not you know stricken with cap space and they still have plenty of amount to give to AJ Green if, if that's going to happen it's going to happen in the next couple of days before they take off to Seattle and, and if AJ was healthy for you know this preseason I would guarantee that that would happen at this point I don't know but if it the a positive that can be taken away from this and a positive from my perspective and what most people's perspective should be is that if they're still paying Bernard five and a half million for the next two years, Joe Mixon's free agency will, will be coming up after two years and Bernard will still be under contract by the time that Mixon becomes a free agent. And if they continue to use Geo and take away Mixon's touches to really make Mixon that premier, you know, starting running back, there's a very high possibility now that Mixon pretty much is done after 2019 or 2020, whatever his final year is, or 2020. And that's honestly good because at, at that point, the market for running backs could reach pretty close to 20 million. And at that point, running back value won't increase any more than what it is now. So that's a conversation that we're going to have to have in, in you know 18 months or so whenever his free agency really pops up. 
And if they're still paying Bernard that money and they still have guys like Rodney Anderson, Travion Williams under contract, I think this sets them up for potentially giving themselves, putting themselves in a better position for life after Joe Mixon because, you know, based off the type of person that Mixon is, he's not going to want to have any anything less than what he's what he's worth on the open market. And maybe some team will give him that, but I really don't think it will be the Bengals if, if they keep Bernard under the books for this long. Yeah, it is an interesting time, interesting landscape in the NFL really over the past two seasons for the running back position. Le'Veon Bell, of course, setting out all of 2018. You have Melvin Gordon threatening to sit out. You have Ezekiel Elliott threatening to sit out this year. So, um, you know, a very, very interesting market. And if that kind of holds, who knows what's going to happen with Joe Mixon if he is, his career continues to take off after leading the AFC in rushing yards last year. Um, you know, I think – Smart move in a lot of respects for the Bengals in, in extending Giovanni Bernard. It's not something that absolutely breaks the bank or anything, but you keep a good player, a guy that um, you want to, you know, you want to hang on to. I, I just hope that it doesn't handicap them in keeping other players that they want, as well as, you know, I, I hope that this means they will use him to a more effective in a more effective way. I would like to see formations out there with both Mixon and Giovanni Bernard out there, whether that's both in the backfield or, or Gio, maybe taking some receiver snaps out of the slot or something like that, especially when Green is out of the lineup. Uh, he is a weapon there too. So, um, But for now, the Bengals worked out a handful of players on Tuesday afternoon, and they signed Giovanni Bernard to a two-year extension, keeping him in Cincinnati through 2021. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sharon. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We're going to be joined by Brandon Schultz in just a minute of the Field Goals podcast. Uh, he is. We're going to talk about week one with him, get some insight on the Seattle Seahawks. Not an opponent, opponent that the Bengals get to see very often. So, um, And by the way, if anyone is wondering, I am going to be going to that game uh, this weekend. So uh, if any of you are out there and uh, you want to try and meet up, I'd love to maybe meet up, say hey, and, and hang out with you all if, if we're able. So I um, had a couple of questions about that and um, got kind of got that finalized. So looking forward to that. But at any rate, this is, as I mentioned, the Orange, Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. You can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play. You can get it on the Megaphone platform. Uh, YouTube, we've got the YouTube channel, the live streaming back up and running, so we're excited about that. And, of course, uh, you could get it on cincyjungle.com uh, and, and download it there. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Are you a frequent, are you a frequent visitor of the Pacific Northwest? Because I've I never been. Not, I am not. I've only actually been once, um, and I, it was two years ago. I went. It was still around the same time of year. It was September, so um, it was it was pretty nice. It seems like it's actually going to be relatively warm up there uh, for for it being Seattle this weekend. It's highs are low to mid seventies, so it's pretty warm for up there. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. I just hope the end result is not something that makes me wonder why I paid that money to <laughs> go yeah. up there. Go I, up there, but I, I think as long as it doesn't rain, you'll be fine. Because I just imagine there's always a perpetual rain cloud over. Yeah, yeah I I don't think that's luckily. I don't think that that's um, I, I don't I, that's not in the the forecast. I don't believe so. Um, it should be pretty mellow. Now, unfortunately, the Bengals do not seem to travel uh, travel very well. And um, especially when they go out West, I should say, mm -hmm. they don't, they don't seem to travel very well. So 
we'll see what's uh, we'll we'll see how that works out. But joining us now, I believe uh, we have at least audio. I don't think we have video, but we have we have Brandon Schultz from Field Goals, the SB Nation's Seattle Seahawks site. Brandon, are you there? I am here. What's up, guys? Hey, what's going on, man? Thanks for making the time. Absolutely. Always excited to talk about football, especially going into week one of the regular season. Fired up. Yeah, awesome. And hey, before before we get into any of the questions, I said this at the onset of the show, you telling us about StreamYard has been an absolute godsend, my friend. I, <laughs> I got to tell you, for the I don't know if you if you ever did anything on YouTube or Google Hangouts or anything like that. That's been our staple for like three years on this show. It, we had it dialed in, and it, you know we've got our live listeners that like to tune in and submit questions and comments and all that kind of stuff. Well, YouTube and changed their platform as of August first, so the last month really we've been trying to scramble to make this work and the audio quality wasn't there. So thank you for putting this bug in my ear. I looked at it right away when I saw your email and I was like, Oh my gosh, we got to check this out. So <laughs> this is it. Yeah. It seems to be working well. So mm-hmm. you are a hero for this week uh, at least. So I appreciate you putting the, putting the idea in my head, Brandon. Now, if you can put it in the head of your head coach to spot the Seahawks <laughs> about 14 points, in this home opener, it would just be ideal. You would totally pay me back for the suggestion. Well, according to a lot of talking heads, the Seahawks may not need to be spotted 14 points. It seems as if the Bengals are a massive underdog. Look, I guess I'll kind of start here with kind of a big picture question for you. This is a a little bit, at least from those of us who don't get to see Seahawks games, I guess, regularly. This is a much different looking Seahawks team, both from an injury standpoint and from, you know, a lot of the the, the Legion of Boom guys being gone and all of that. Uh, how is the confidence level in this year's team with some of those big name guys being either shown the door or being injured coming into this week? Well, if you think back to just how much has changed over the years, I would say that really compared to last season, the one guy that you're missing from the roster that was there week one in 2018 was Earl Thomas. And he was lost after, I think, the week four game last year. So nothing much has really changed apart from Frank Clark on the defensive line. But, you know, years out of losing Michael Bennett, Cliff Averill, there's just been a lot of turnover on the defensive line as well. So uh, really, and Going back to, gosh, the last time the Seahawks played the Bengals, really the only guys are probably the the couple guys that are there from the Super Bowl roster with Russell Wilson, Bobby Wagner, and K.J. Wright. So it's it's definitely a different sort of team than Bengals fans may have seen last time, but you know, those are three top players that I think Seahawks fans are very confident about as long as Russell Wilson is healthy. Uh, for the full season, I, I think we feel pretty good about the chances of, of our team. It's not often, this is John Sheeran, by the way, it's not often that NFL teams commit just strong arm robbery, but how's it feel to be on the good end of receiving Jadavion Clowney for the exchange of, well, I, I can't even name the players because I don't think they're <laughs> that important. Yeah, a third round pick and essentially two backup defensive linemen. Um you know, we were we were pretty excited about Jacob Martin as a potential prospect, as excited as you can be, I think, because uh, he was a sixth-round pick, so you're not expecting a whole lot. But his pass rush productivity numbers were really high, so he was kind of a guy we were going to be leaning on with the departure of Frank Clark to to pressure the quarterback a lot more. And it seems uh, when you go from a name like Jacob Martin to Jadavian Clowney, uh, the the uncertainty level goes way, way down as far as that uh, pass rush productivity factor. So i uh, definitely excited about the move. I, I don't exactly know what the Texans were thinking, especially when we found out that not only did we get him for a steal in terms of draft picks, but they had to pay $7 million of his salary. Uh, that, was, that was pretty incredible. So... Brandon, I, I live in Southern California, and I follow a lot of USC Trojans football. So obviously, I I really like Pete Carroll. I have always liked Pete Carroll, even despite some of the I guess you want to call it controversy that you know he kind of left in the wake of his departure from sure. from the Trojans. But always been a big fan. I'm looking, you know, obviously I've I, I'm not a 
big time Seahawks fan, but I, I definitely have followed him. We're, we're, I'm looking at, you know, the records here, double digit wins almost every single season, only two seasons of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, where, so seven of nine seasons, he's made the postseason. He's been to two Super Bowls and won one. Um, is this, for those of us who follow the Bengals and had a coach here for 16 years, is this basically a scenario that, because this could be a double-edged sword. Is this a scenario that Carroll has the job as absolutely as long as he wants it based on his resume? Or is this a scenario where, yeah, they've been pretty good now these past couple of years. They were good. You know, they won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. The pressure is even higher now. How do you see that kind of relationship with Carroll and the Seahawks right now? I'd say it's about as good as it can be for any head coach in the league. As long as you're winning and going to the playoffs, your job feels pretty secure. And especially when you're winning playoff games. And they they did miss out on that last year and losing in the first round of the Cowboys. But it has been, I mean, you mentioned the consistency. They went, uh, they missed the playoffs one time, and that was with uh, Tavares Jackson as their quarterback. And then they just missed the playoffs two years ago. And that was a season where we had Blair Walsh as our field goal kicker. So uh, there were a couple games where he missed some significant kicks that had he made those and, and they could have played better. And you can't put all of the blame on Blair Walsh. Uh, if I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan, I can put all the blame on him for <laughs> losing that, that playoff game and winning the Seahawks a playoff game. So he has won the Seahawks a playoff game, but then we followed that up by screwing it up and signing him to our team. And, and we miss the playoffs because of it. So, so I, I think the, the main thing, though, is that, yeah, Pete Carroll, in the minds of Seahawks fans, definitely uh, a solid head coach. And, you know, with him being one of the, if not the oldest coach in the NFL right now, uh, I think he has this job until he decides that he's done. But you listen to the guy and he doesn't sound like he's slowing down at all. No. Yeah, he's, he's 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 the oldest, but he might be the most fun, which is always what I've been um, most liked about him. But so we got we have Pete Carroll, and we also have Russell Wilson, and in my opinion, Wilson has probably done the most with the least amount of talent around him, aside from like a couple years of Marshawn Lynch. But now everyone's talking about you know Wilson doesn't have any receivers. All he has is Tyler Lockett. D, DK Metcalf just came back from practice. In your opinion, at least to start the season, how confident are you? in the talent level around Russell Wilson in terms of pass catchers and, and that offensive line in front of him because he's always had to make a lot by himself and has always had to do a lot of things and really just carry the offense in itself. And I don't think that the scheme and, and the overall structure of the offenses has changed that much on, under uh, Brian Schottenheimer. So how confident are you in, in these receivers around him with the loss of, of Doug Baldwin uh, going forward under this offense? Well, I think you can make up for that loss of Doug Baldwin by having Tyler Lockett now as your number one wide receiver. And he, he's going to be the guy. And they do have some other pass catchers. You mentioned DK Metcalf. We saw the roster, the depth chart came out today, and they actually have Metcalf listed as a starter. So for him to show enough just in a short period of time that he was in before getting injured, uh, it, it's saying a lot about him going into week one. Now, Jerron Brown was a guy who uh, I thought, you know, they had talked him up quite a bit in the offseason as being that number two guy have a lot of rookies at wide receiver. And so I, I feel like with Metcalf, with Gary Jennings, with John Ursua, who is their seventh round pick, you know, all three of those guys were receivers that they drafted. It's kind of the one big concern, I think. But when you have a veteran quarterback behind center, it's, and, and you mentioned the offensive line, it's, this might be the best offensive line that Russell has played with since his, you know, first and second year with the team. So it's it's finally getting to that point where you have some protection for Russell Wilson. You have a running back in Chris Carson, who we're excited about. The offense really, the weird thing for Seahawks fans is that we've been so fired up about our defense over past seasons. This might be the best offense that the Seahawks have had over the years. And it feels weird saying that with Brian Schottenheimer as our offensive coordinator, but he showed enough to you know be top six in the league at scoring points last year. And that's what I feel is, is one of the most important things. So you mentioned Chris Carson. Uh, again, I mentioned I'm a Southern California guy, so I know quite a bit about Rashad Penny. He was a guy I, I had 
I thought was a very talented guy coming out of the draft, very versatile player. He has not lived up to the hype. He has is kind of in a rotational role, a backup role to Carson. Um, how do you see the distribution playing out, especially against the Bengals? And is this because of some of the issues at wide receiver that you're talking about or the perceived issues with injuries and all of that, is that where they're going to try and rely on, you know, is, is that where they're going to really feed the ball this week to those two running backs, given that the Bengals struggled against the run as a defensive unit last year? Uh, you know, whether the Bengals struggled uh, as, as a defensive unit against the run or not, I feel like this team is going to come out and run the ball. They've said that's what they're going to do. That's what they did a, a lot of last year. And that was really to their detriment in the playoff game against the Cowboys because they came out and they pounded the ball. They they ran into the Cowboys defensive line, which was a brick wall, and they just kept doing it. And as fans are sitting here going, geez, throw the ball downfield. It's open. They are trying. You can tell that the defense is just trying to stop the run. They know that's what you want to do. And they they just went, they waited too long before they went to the air against the, the Cowboys. So I think they're gonna they're gonna keep that up in week one of the season. One of the, the downsides of last season is they really waited until weeks three and four before they started to run the ball effectively last year. And so I expect now that Schottenheimer and, and Russell are established and going into year two that they know what they're going to want to do week one. And you're going to see a lot of Chris Carson. Uh, but I also know that they probably don't want to go above 16 to 18 carries with Carson. And so they're going to mix in Rashad Penny. They'll mix in potentially CJ Procise, who looked really good inside the preseason, but hasn't been able to stay healthy for a regular season game. So we'll, we'll see those two guys get some carries as well. And then you're going to see deep shots to Tyler Lockett, to DK Metcalf, and whoever's open, you know, down downfield. Yeah, that game was just frustrating to watch, just from a casual fan's perspective. I can only imagine what it was like for you. Oh but um, oh yeah, like seriously, just just throw the ball. Yeah, Russell Wilson, but everyone knows who Wilson is. Everyone knows who Chris Carson is now. For for Bengals fans though, who is who is one guy on the Seahawks that? You expect a, not not necessarily have a big game, but a, a guy who is flying under the radar. It may not be someone that a lot of other under, uh, NFL fans know of. And who, who's a guy who you think is going to really take the next step for you guys in 2019? Well, I'll give you one guy on either side of the ball. And on the offensive side of the ball, one guy who didn't make a, a big impact in terms of the rest of the NFL to where they would know him is their tight end, Will Disley, who was tight end out of University of Washington. He only played four games. He had a patellar tendon injury. But up until that injury, he was a, a really solid. He was looking really good as a rookie tight end. And uh, whether he was you know, just blocking and helping out against that pass rush, or he would you know, sneak down the seam and catch big passes, there, were, there was at least... Uh, a game or two where he had over a hundred yards just on, you know, a handful of catches. And so that's kind of one sneaky guy that could end up having a good game, being back from injury and a guy that they played pretty lightly in the preseason, not wanting him to get re-injured with, with that knee. So uh, expecting some things out of him. And then uh, on the secondary, uh, Bradley McDougal has been a guy who was picked up from the Tampa Bay Bucks. And he's been kind of our, uh, he, he finished tied with Earl Thomas for interceptions at the end of the season last season. Earl Thomas only played four games, but uh, Bradley McDougal is that senior member of that, that secondary now. And he's kind of, whether he, he can play free safety, he can play strong safety, and he's the kind of the guy who ends up being in the neighborhood when maybe you don't expect him to be for potential turnovers. Talking with Brandon Schultz of Field Goals, the SB Nation Seattle Seahawks site. Well, he'll be with us for just a couple more minutes here as we preview week one. The Bengals travel to Seattle to take on the Seahawks in a very daunting first game of the season for the Bengals. Brandon, if you were to, and maybe, you know, obviously I wouldn't expect you to have an intimate knowledge necessarily of the Bengals roster, but if you were to look at this game and say, you know, this aspect of the Bengals team worries me as it com as it goes with a specific matchup on the Seahawks team. 
I would go with the Bengals running game because mm. you have uh, Joe Mixon. Uh, the The Seahawks, they spent some time in the offseason really trying to shore up that defensive line because they got beat a lot last year in the run game. And they went in, they brought Al Woods from the Colts. Uh, they elevated Puna Ford to the starting team. But Jaron Reed's out on suspension for the first six games. And so there's kind of your Pro Bowl level interior defender that the Seahawks aren't going to have. And uh, you guys, I saw you picked up some JP Ryan off of waivers. Uh, I, I liked him and I could see the, the Bengals going heavy dosage of run, especially being on the road. And if the Seahawks can't stop it, if they haven't got those run issues fixed, we saw it against the, the starting team for the Denver Broncos in week one of the preseason with Philip Lindsay, he just ran right down the field on their very first drive. So that's going to be something I'm going to be watching as a Seahawks fan. Well, Zach Taylor wanted to emphasize the run game with the, with the Bengals this year. So we'll see if that matchup ends up bearing any fruit for the Bengals and, or uh, if your concerns are, are validated or not, Brandon uh, we're, we're going to get you out of here, but before we do, what is your prediction for this game and, or, you know, if you want to make any bold predictions or anything like that, uh, you can, you can call your shot here. I'll go with a win for the Seahawks. They're starting out at home. It's a noisy place, you know, to play any time, but for the Bengals to have to come into Seattle week one of the season with a new head coach. And I think that's going to be a tough ask for them. So I, I do think that the Bengals uh, put up a decent amount of points uh, against the Seahawks. I don't know when it's going to come, if it's going to come you know, early. It, it's going to kind of depend on that run game. But I'm going to say probably 27-17 uh, for the Seahawks. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Well, thanks, Brandon. I appreciate it again. Brandon Schultz from Field Goals. And Brandon, where can people follow you? And I know you have a podcast as well. So where can people find your content, follow you, all that good stuff? Yeah, check us out, uh, Field Goals at uh, fieldgoals.com. And I also do another Seahawks podcast called the Seahawkers podcast uh, with a buddy of mine, Adam. And uh, so follow us there at Seahawkers pod on Twitter. Okay, awesome. I may hit you up for some uh, some good spots to go this weekend. I'm going. I'm coming up to the game. So oh, nice. May, oh, yeah. you come tailgate with us. I, I may have to do that. I'm coming with my brother. So Sweet. I may have to do that. Yeah. All right. We'll see you there, man. All right. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. That was Brandon Schultz of Field Goals and the Field Goals podcast. It was awesome having him on. Very insightful as the Bengals are set to travel to Seattle for week one and take on the Seahawks. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Kazenza. Get this show really wherever you listen to a podcast from iTunes to Google Play to all kinds of different platforms. We are on them most likely, I would think. And uh, we're now, we've got the YouTube thing back up and running. So we're stoked on that. We appreciate all the live listeners and all of you who download our show after the fact. John, let's let's close up shop here for a few minutes, kind of, uh, you know, talking about some some predictions. You know, when we did our listener questions late last week, some of the ones we get that we just don't really have a lot of time to answer um, is in the season predictions. And I guess if we want to kind of be bold now. We can kind of talk about that now that the final roster is set, now that, you know, we're, we're into the into the regular season. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, among other predictions or bold predictions, if you want to if you want to go there, but uh, among that, what's kind of your prediction for this team? Because I look at th- this week one game to me is a microcosm of the schedule for the Bengals in that it could go really bad. Or they could really surprise us. And I I don't know. I really don't know what they're going to give us this year. Yeah, that's fair because I don't expect them to win this game. And I don't expect them to win very much this season. But as I've said for most of the offseason, there's e- almost equal forces going back and forth between the Bengals are going to completely stink or the Bengals are going to be around the league average. And the reason why they can stink is because they have a first year head coach and inexperienced coaching staff around him, a roster that's not that much more talented than it was last year. And by all means, an average quarterback. But on the other side, 
They won six games last year without half a season from their quarterback, wide receiver, best edge rusher, and 12 games from their best pass catching or uh, tight end, who's their second best pass pass catcher. So there's a lot of positive regression that can definitely go the way, and that should go the way. There were two and five in close games last year. Teams who finished below two games under 500 in close games more times than not are almost always improved from an overall record standpoint. So at from one say, end, say I can, that stat again. I like that one a lot. Will you say say that one again? Yeah. Yes. They were two and five in close games last year. Close games are constituted as eight points or less in terms of score differential. Teams who finished below two games, 500 in close games over 90%, almost 100% of the time in the past 10 to 12 years improved from an overall record standpoint. So they were six and 10. They were six and 10 last year by pure logic from this, from this metric that has a bunch of information and data backing it. They should go at least seven and nine this year. Only problem is this is a really tough division. They're the fourth best team in this division pretty easily. And despite an easy schedule, they're just not that much more talented than they were last year. So the biggest factors here for them reaching that 7-9 baseline is that the players who have struggled in years past that have made this roster below average need to really step up and really need to be elevated by this new coaching staff. It's going to be the di- it's going to be the Zach Taylor difference. If he can utilize some underwhelming players from years past to really make really have them fulfill their potential this year, and and for for most players a really crucial year, they can do better than seven and nine maybe because. At the end of the day, the Seahawks are one of the games that I just don't expect them to win at all. But there's besides that, there's only a couple more games where I would chalk up an easy L. Most of the games, 11, 12, 13 of these games on the schedule is very winnable for the Bengals. This is not a very hard schedule. And when they're healthy, they're decently talented. And they're not that much different than some of the other teams who are going to compete for a wild card or a division spot. So ultimately, again, there's positives and negatives on both sides of the fence here. They should regress health-wise. They should regress in close games. And when you all really add it up, I think seven and nine is about where you would fall with this team. Not necessarily worse than last year, but just not good enough to really compete yet. Yeah, I have. See, I have them right around that same range. I think nine is the ceiling and I think seven is probably the floor. And I see, unfortunately, I see the bulk of those wins coming at at the end of the season. Um, Maybe when. AJ Green is is back and starting to get healthier and and um, you know maybe more well conditioned. These guys, the offensive line, build some cohesion. Zach Taylor and the inexperienced staff gets their feet under them. The players grasp the systems better, and then that's when you start seeing the momentum. If you remember when Marvin Lewis came in in two thousand three, that's kind of what happened. I think the Bengals. At the time that they won, uh, I, I don't have it directly in front of me, but at the time that they had that big Chiefs win, there were, what, four and five, three yeah. and five, something something like that. And then that got them into five and five, and all of a sudden they, they rattled off another, th- you know, couple of wins, and then they were knocking on the door of the playoffs at the in the first season there. So I could see a similar type of scenario playing out this year where, you know, it's a little bit of a sluggish start, maybe some ugly losses early on where you're going, oh boy, you start to question. I remember the questions of, is Marvin Lewis the guy in 2003? And then all of a sudden he was the savior, you know, a, a few years later. So I could see some of those questions early in the season going, oh boy, this is looking awful, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I think what what I see occurring is a streak of positive momentum um, towards the end of the season, especially maybe you get a Jonah Williams back and then, you know, things get better in the offensive line there. We don't know. But I, I think that's kind of how I see some things playing out with this year. Maybe seven to nine wins, nine being probably the ceiling. I don't know if that gets you a wild card or anything like that. But I think um, – I think I'm kind of in the same. I, I find it hard to place them with fewer wins this year than last year for those two, those you know, two or three great stats you threw out. I think that even though there's inexperience in the coaching, I think there's going to be an uptick in the coaching, particularly on offense. It's hard for them to get any worse on defense than they were last year. Um, so for me, I, I I find it difficult to believe that you see people out there throwing three wins out there. Um, it's possible, but I, I just very I, possible, it, very possible, possible, but not it, likely. Yeah, I, I mean, it's possible, but I, I don't, I don't really buy into that based on what we saw last year. Some things that we've seen this year, um, I'd feel a lot better about this team right now if both AJ Green and Jonah Williams were were healthy. Absolutely. I would, I would feel a lot better. And it's, it's crazy to say that because you know, a lot of times, 
on a team, you know, you miss two players. It, it shouldn't make that huge of an impact, but it does. I mean, it does, those two guys missing those two guys definitely has a big impact. Any other kind of predictions or I don't know, bold, uh, bold things you want to put out there either for week one, and then I'll get your prediction on the score for this week too. But um, I don't know, bold predictions on you think a player's performances or the coaches or the team or something in week one, that sort of thing. You kind of alluded to this in, in your, your explanation like a few minutes back, but by the end of September, we will see multiple fire Zach Taylor uh, tweets or comments. Wow. They're, they're, they're probably like, they're not uh, spoiling my prediction. They're probably not going to win this week. They might split between Buffalo and San Francisco. And then they play with Pittsburgh in week four. And pretty much all those games are, going to be without AJ Green and we've seen Andy Dalton without AJ Green and it's not very pretty and it's going to be interesting to see how that offense really overcomes the loss of him and it's really going to be a testament to see you know what Zach Taylor's pseudo Ram style system of, of, of offense really is, ma- is made of without your, your critical piece because like you said it's not normal for a wide receiver to have more in, more of an impact than your quarterback but I think bet online released a, a graphic just today about ranking quarterbacks by how much they they, they affect the, the point spread. Andy Dalton was like 30th or whatever in affecting it by zero points. And like Russell Wilson was like top three and like minus eight or nine or whatever. So it, 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 that's just the dynamic of what the Bengals have been in the A.J. Green era and how much he, he has impacted. So they're going to struggle early on, I think. It, they may not go 0-4 oh, necessarily, but I don't see them being much better than 1-3 one and, one and or 2-2. Two and two. And there's going to be some doubt kind of creeping in from the fan base, you know, is Zach Taylor going to really write the ship? Because there are some fans who expect this team to compete, and I think that's a little bit unreasonable at, at this stage of, of where the team is. But I think they're going to rely a lot on Joe Mixon and Giovanni Van Bernard, both, both in getting them involved in both phases of the game. They're going to try to rotate Tyler Eifert as much as they can with C.J. Uzoma at tight end, and they're going to re- lean in on having John Ross be more involved in the offense, not just as a vertical decoy, but as a guy who can take catches, you know, um, after the catch and really pick up some easy yardage in, in that point. So I expect some growing pains with the Zach Taylor offense, but I also expect to see a big picture of what they can do without their best star on the field. I will say that I think you're going to see uh, an uptick, quite a bit of uptick from some players, particularly on offense that have been, you know, you kind of wondered why aren't they being used? Why, you know, why aren't they getting playing time? All that kind of stuff. I think Taylor is the type of guy to mine some of that production that Marvin Lewis, Ken Zampezi, Bill Lazor, a slew of others could not do. Now, I want I do want to give I don't want to give him a ton of credit, but Hugh Jackson as an offensive coordinator with the Bengals, granted they had a lot of talent, he was able to use a lot of people and and a lot of schemes and he was pretty creative and that that offense in 2015 was very fun. I think that Again, maybe not right away, but I think as the year progresses, Taylor gets comfortable, Callahan gets comfortable. You're going to see some different dynamics of this offense where you go, oh, there's Bernard. Oh, there's CJ Uzama. Oh, there's Drew Sample. Oh, these guys that, you know, there's going to be a lot of uh, pass distribution. There's going to be a lot of guys involved. And that's what I'm excited to see because I do think this team has talent um, in, in a lot of different spots. It's more about the improper utilization of those talent uh, of that talent. So, um, you know, from that standpoint, that's, that's kind of where I'm at with, with some predictions. Speaking of predictions, we're going to get out of here in a minute, but your prediction, John, for uh, this game coming up this week, do you, do you, am I going to be crying in my, in my clam chowder or what's, what's going on? I don't don't think you should be crying because I think you should have a good idea of what to expect. Um, it's definitely hard to predict how they do against a team that they don't play very often against a team that has changed a lot since the last time that we've seen them and a team that is still going to compete in the, in the tougher conference in, in the NFC. So I think they're, the Seahawks are going to put up somewhere in the mid twenties, maybe like 27 or 26 points. Russell Wilson will have a pretty good day. Um, it's, it's just going to be how the Bengals offensive line deals with Clowney and, and the rest of the guys up there. That's just a variable that I don't think that they were expecting. None of us are really expecting that trade to happen. I think most of us thought he was going to go to Miami, but I guess Miami's really dropping the ball or just tanking on purpose for a quarterback to really have drawn him away. So I think somewhere in the line of like 27 to, to 13 is about right. And I think that they can, I think the Bengals can score against the Seattle defense because that secondary can be exposed. 
it's just a matter of how much Clowney can impact um, the passing game and whether or not that, that they can't do the things that they want to do early on and that the game strip kind of gets all, all out of whack. And at the same time, how the defense is going to stop one of the best and most creative quarterbacks in the NFL on the road in one of the most hostile environments. It's just, it's just a tough task for Zach Taylor. And it's not one I expect him to accomplish. And, and, and going into it, that's fine. It's just, it's just now that they have to eat pretty early in the season. Yeah, a couple of couple of thoughts about the clowny thing. I mean, you got to give the Seahawks credit because they've been competitive. They've been they made the playoffs last year. They lost some guys, and they you know they put the the chips in the table, and they got a great deal for them. But I mean, they went out and got a premier guy on defense, and that is what teams do who feel that when they feel that they are close to a championship, they go and they get valuable players. They make trades. They they you know, take risks, if you will, on some of these guys to better their team, even if it's temporarily. And the Bengals have been selling us this idea all all offseason that really it's the coaching change that's going to make the difference and that they should be a playoff team this year, yet they didn't really make any big moves, uh, especially in the wake of injuries to A.J. Green, Jonah Williams, that sort of thing. So, um, you know, to me, that just shows a little bit of disparity in terms of organizational motivation or whatever you want to call it. But uh, for this game, you know, as much as I would like to say they're going to win because I'm there. Uh, I, I, from what I understand, that's a tough place to play. Uh, I, I, I would bring some earplugs. Yeah. I, I have heard it is deafening there. Um, so I, I'm very curious to see what that, uh, what that's like, but I don't, I don't think they'll score only 13 points. I, I mean, I think they'll probably get, get upwards of 20, but I think it's probably going to be like a 30 to 20 game. Maybe it's close in the third quarter-ish, early fourth quarter, and then Seahawks get a late score and kind of pull, pull away a little bit. That's kind of how I see it. Unfortunately, I would love to – by the way, if anyone's wondering, I've, it, the games I travel to with the Bengals, I don't have the great – they don't have the greatest win-loss record. Um, in the games that I traveled to, I was kind of trying to do a little tally of recent games, basically since 03 that I can think of and uh, not great. Um, so I-, I wish I could say it was a good luck charm, but I am not sadly, but uh, I think it'll be a competitive game. I think people will be surprised by that. I don't, I don't know that the Bengals will come out victorious. I think it's going to take a couple of monstrous plays for them to do that. Um, a la what they did last year in week one against Indianapolis. Uh, We're going to get out of here before we do. There's a couple of comments here that uh, I wanted to get to in our live YouTube chat. Uh, Brian McHugh, man, sad boy indeed Uh, (laughs) to you. Um, 40, Ollie says, I see 10 wins just as easy as 10 losses. That's kind of where I think a lot of people are. Coaching and defense are the variables. Um, A lot of people are bashing Zampezi. I guess I shouldn't have – I shouldn't have mentioned that name, I guess. When did you um, mention Zampezi? When I was talking about the fact that the Bengals coaches were not mining the talent. Oh, yeah. Uh, mining the production out of the talent they had. Um, I know. See, you get you get Ken Zampezi talk on our show. <laughs> That's what you get. Uh, so uh, a couple of, you know, I agree, Anthony. I agree, Anthony, with Green and Williams. There are different teams. Is A.J. Green for president? You think he likes A.J. Green? I do. Um so yeah, a lot of lot of different differing opinions here um, with the Cincinnati Bengals and their outlook going forward. John, enjoy the game this weekend, man. Um, enjoy, enjoy you enjoy, man. You're going to be there, and if you're going right. to travel to any game and you don't have a good track record, you might as well make it one where you're nine and a half point underdog. Well, so here's here's the thing. Just quickly, I hit. I was set when I saw like who the Bengals' opponents were and where they were playing. I was set to go to the Rams game because it was going to be in L.A. Um, and of course the NFL did the old pull the rug out from under me and, uh, put that game of all games in London. So that game, uh, not only will it not be a more watchable time for me at 1 PM, I won't be able to go. Sorry to the, to, to our friends, Bengals UK and others across the pond. I just, uh, I can't swing that, that price tag quite yet. So, um, anyway, I, I was set to go to that game. I thought that would have been a very interesting game to go to. We'll see how that ends up. But um, I, I so I had to I had to try and go to another game, and this one kind of came into place last minute. So that's that's how that works. Uh, anyway, enjoy the game this weekend. Football's back. Week one. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of us are very excited, but at the same time, tempering expectations a little bit. So I don't know. 
but enjoy the game however you watch it, however you um, you know keep up with the updates. Keep it to CincyJungle.com. We've got all the news, opinions, analysis, breaking news, injury news, all that stuff is on there. John Sheeran is one of the valuable contributors on that site. And, of course, our podcast uh, brings you all the insight – Special guests like Brandon Schultz, thanks to him from Field Goals of SB Nation. We appreciate his time. So, um, you know, get this show how you can. iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, YouTube, Cincy Jungle, all that good stuff. Appreciate you tuning in live. Appreciate you sticking with us with the live broadcast, despite some of the issues over the past couple of weeks. And, um, yeah, but hopefully the Bengals, are, we're talking about a 1-0 start next week, John. Yeah, and and I, I'm just I'm just I'm prepared to take very many L's this weekend. The UC plays Ohio State, Bengals play the Seahawks. I'm prepared for the worst, but if the best happens, I will be happy boy John next week. Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, we have we have a, a small little bet there. Um, so yeah, enjoy the game, everybody. Just so just so you know, too, we usually do a I usually do a post game video, usually through Cincy Jungle's Facebook. Um, we may even do it through through this platform, but um, I don't know if I'll be able to do that Sunday afternoon, just the, the chaos getting out of a stadium and all that kind of stuff. What I may do is do it Monday afternoon or evening at this point, unless John wants to volunteer and do it through the Facebook page. He's, I don't want to volunteer for him. Vaughn told him, but that, that might just be something I do. Uh, okay. If you don't, then maybe I'll do it Monday. We'll, we'll figure that out, but we'll get you something. Um, mm-hmm. It just, it depends on when we appreciate it, but thanks everyone. We've gone long. Enjoy your weekend. John, I'll see you, buddy. I'll see you, man. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.